Thank you, Jesus. He's a good God. Amen. Amen. Can we just give the Lord a clap offering this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. What a wonderful time to be in the presence of the Lord. And we're so grateful to be here with you this morning. Uh, my wife and I came on Mother's Day weekend and got to meet Pastor Rocky and his beautiful wife. And uh, we're so grateful that we've had this opportunity to come back to one church. And I just want to appreciate uh, Pastor Rocky and Debbie and all the leadership team here. Uh, if we can just give a wonderful applause for, for them. I know they're enjoying themselves where they are. But uh, I was telling Pastor that it's, it's not easy to preach when you're not in the house. And I pray that what God wants to do will be accomplished. We're highly honored, and it's a great privilege to be with us here at One Church. Amen. Amen. I told Pastor, I uh, just had a little brochure. Now, I'm not going to go through it. We're not here to talk about what we do. But just take that home, since you guys don't really know us. Take that home with you and see what God is doing uh, through our ministry. Uh, where God called me to Ghana, West Africa, uh, for these past 30 years. And uh, I came home briefly because two, two of my kids graduated. One from high school, one from college. And then uh, two are going off to college next week. So uh, had a little bit longer trip than normal to be back here in the U.S., but uh, so honored and so grateful to be here today. Amen? Amen? And I pray that whatever God wants to do in our lives today, may it be accomplished in Jesus' name. Are you ready to receive from the Lord today? Amen? From receive from the Word of God. Amen? And I pray that, like I said, whatever God wants to do, may He accomplish that today. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Lord, you are a good God. You are the great and mighty God. And we just take time this morning to honor and praise your name. We have hallowed your name. We've lifted your name up on high, and your presence is with us. I pray, God, today that every word that is shared, I pray, God, may it penetrate our hearts today. May we not just be hearers of your word, but doers of the word of God. I pray, God, what you have orchestrated in the heavens, what you have laid on my heart to speak today, may it change the way we walk our lives and want to serve you in our different capacities. God, we just bless you and we praise you today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Have your own way in this place. Move and touch. Those who need to be challenged, may they be challenged. Those who need to be encouraged, may they be encouraged. Those who need to be delivered, may they be delivered. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, today, this morning, into this afternoon, and maybe to the evening, because in Africa we have long church services. But in the time we have today, I want to share a message God put in my heart, and it's simply titled, The Lord Has Need of You. Can you say that with me? The Lord has need of you. Look at your neighbor and say, The Lord has need of you. Find someone behind you and say, The Lord has need of you. And if you got no one behind you, just pat your hand on your back and says, the Lord has need of me. Hallelujah. We're going to go into a familiar text that is typically preached a week before Easter. But I pray today that the text will speak to us in a different way. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew 21. We're going to read the, the, from verses 1 to 9, and then we're going to get into different aspects of this text. 
Matthew 21, beginning with verse number 1, the Bible says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straight away you shall find a donkey tied. Say, you'll find a donkey tied. It says, and a colt will be with her. Loose them. Say, loose them. And bring them unto me. And if anyone says unto you, why are you doing this? Tell them, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell you the daughter of Zion, behold, your king comes unto the meek and sits upon a donkey and a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the tree and strawed them in the way. Verse 9. And the multitudes that went before and those that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hallelujah. Now I want to begin this morning by encouraging us all today. That God has a divine purpose for your life. Amen. Do you believe that? God has a purpose for your life. We know this familiar text from Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. Which says, before I formed you in the mother's womb, I knew you. That's just a staggering prophetic statement that God gave to Jeremiah. Before you were ever an idea in your mom and your dad, I knew you. Before your grandma and grandpa ever knew each other, I knew you. Before your great-great and your great-great ever knew each other, I, God, Jehovah God, the omniscient God, I knew you. God knew who you be today, that no matter the circumstances of your birth, God knew the exact two genealogies that were needed to get the DNA for you to be born. Nothing happens by chance. So God says, again, that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And in the case of Jeremiah, God said about Jeremiah, I have ordained you to be a prophet. Now, you may not be Jeremiah, but you have a purpose. So I'll say to us again, the Lord has need of you. Every one of you in this room today, and those of you who might be watching, God has a purpose for your life. God allowed me to be born in the greatest nation of the world, but shipped me out to Africa for my divine purpose. That's my purpose. People ask me when I come back stateside, so do you see yourself coming back to America? And I said, what is my purpose? What is my assignment? God, he planted me in another nation. That's my purpose. That's what gives my life meaning. God may have planted you here, but you have a purpose. 
And so I'll say to us just to encourage us, by the way, that there's no one in this room that is an accident. And I always tell young couples and married couples that, that after the first child, most of the time, second and third, in my case, fifth child was, whoops. <laughs> we planned the first one, but God plans them all. And sometimes children are born what we might be called, what we might call in a negative way, but God knew. So I'll say again to you, you are not an accident. You are not a mistake. God has a purpose for your life. Praise God. God has a purpose for your life. In this text we read, we encounter a character that's not normally talked about. The donkey. And this donkey was living a life unfulfilled. This donkey had been tied. Unable to move. Unable to walk. Unable to accomplish what it wants. Now, in the U.S., we don't use donkeys much. But in Africa, many African countries, they use donkeys and they hitch a little, little like tra trailer behind them and they carry goods. In the Old Testament, they were animals of service. They were animals that carried burdens. Donkeys were made to serve. Donkeys have a purpose. Everything God creates has a purpose. We in America, we love dogs and cats. A dog, I think, has more purpose than a cat, but that's, that's just me talking. But every animal has a purpose. And can you just put yourself into the position of this donkey this morning, knowing that I have been tied up. So a donkey that has been tied is a donkey without a purpose. And life finds its greatest expression of purpose when that life is being used. Your life has no purpose if you're not doing something. We are not just called as Christians to come to church on Sunday and lift our hands and worship God and receive another message and go home and check our box for the week. I fulfill my religious duties for the week. That's not why we come to the house of God. We come to the house of God to be trained, to be equipped, to be discipled, so that where we go out in our various aspects of the world, we can be used by God. The Lord has need of you. The Lord has need of you. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 10 that God created you with specific works to do. Listen to Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship. One rendering in the Greek translates into English, you are God's masterpiece. You're not junk. You are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. And we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now let me just pause here. How many know that we are not saved by works? 
We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. There's nobody in this room, including the one holding the microphone, that deserves to be here. By his grace and his mercy, he has saved us. But once I have come to the foot of the cross and I surrendered my life to Jesus, then there are works I ought to do. And there are specific preordained works God has planned for you. That's what the Bible says. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that you should walk in them. The Lord has need of you. And as the Lord has need of us, what I've realized over time, that many of us want to be used by God. Many of us want to do things and serve the Lord and make a difference in our community and society and in the kingdom of God. But just like the donkey who has been tied up, there are certain ropes that also tie us up. A rope is something that keeps you in bondage. A rope is something that will limit you. A rope is something that will, it, you can be teased. It's like, like a leash on a dog. It can go so far, but not far enough. And the devil is holding that leash. The devil is holding that rope. And he will let you go just a little bit, but not too far. I read a study years ago about an elephant that was captured in the wild and was trying to become domesticated. And they put this huge chain around the baby's foot of the elephant. And that chain, that had so much feet that the elephant can walk around in a circle. After time, the owners removed the chain. But the elephant never went beyond the distance of the chain. The elephant was free to run back to the wild, but in his mind, he was still bound. And God wants to use all of us. But today I want to talk about five different ropes. That kind of tie us up, just like the donkey. The first rope I want to talk about is the rope of fear. The rope of fear. Now, the good news, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. Good news, right? For God has not given you the spirit of fear. I thought I got an amen on that one. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but that of love and power and of a sound mind. So if God does not give us fear, then who plants fear in us? And whatever we allow in, we begin to reproduce that in life. We'll talk about that one later on. And so as I was contemplating this, this rope of fear, there are different levels of fear that keep us in bondage. One of the most common fears that people have is called the fear of failure. And I read this quote, I want to say it to us. It says this, we do not fear. It is not fear itself that holds you back. It is the fear of failure that paralyzes you. Let me say it again. It is not fear itself that holds you back. It is a fear of failing that paralyzes you. 
Have you seen a small child on the diving board? Just stuck there. He sees his brothers or sisters or mom and dad maybe diving off and the kids are splashing in the pool and having a great time. And this child also wants to go, but fear has paralyzed that child. The fear of failure. I pray today, don't let the fear of failure keep you from realizing your dream. How many have dreams in the room today? If your hand doesn't go up, get a dream. (laughs) But the fear of failure can keep us from reaching that dream. My wife is a business person. She's an entrepreneur. And she tells me, because I'm a pastor and I do ministry, I don't like to take certain risks with money. we got to be wise with the little money we get. But my wife is a business person, and she always says, if you want to make money, you got to spend money. And sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. But I'm not going to stop trying. Because I didn't succeed today doesn't mean I won't succeed tomorrow. Maybe this, this design of, of her craft didn't work out, but next time it might be a hit. But there are so many people that they are afraid of failing, and sometimes they haven't even started that they never get to accomplish their dream. The Israelites did not reach the promised land because of fear. They went to the promised land. Twelve spies entered. They saw the bounty. They saw the size of the grapes. And they were all amazed by the, the bounty of this land. But as they progressed, they saw great civilizations. They saw mighty giants and they began to get what's known as a grasshopper mentality. And they came back and the ten of them said that there are giants in the land. And whatever God said, we can't do it. We're too small. We're just a bunch of slaves. How can we do this? And Joshua and Caleb, they tried to calm the people down and said, yes, it's true. There are giants in the land, but what God said, we are more than able to take this land. But the fear, the spirit of fear that was released by the ten, it overtook the entire nation of Israel. And that generation, they never made it to the promised land because of fear. The Israelites, because of fear, from Goliath, ran into tents. Every day, Goliath would come down and challenge them, give me a man to fight me. There's no need for blood to be spilled by all. Let's have a one-on-one competition. If I defeat your man, your champion, then you must serve us. But if I am destroyed, if I am killed, then we will serve you. And every single person including the king. When they saw Goliath, they ran. But one day, there was a little guy called David. And David was sent by his father to check up on his brothers. And when he saw Goliath, he became enraged. That how dare this uncircumcised Philistine threaten us? What audacity 
does he have? We are in covenant with God. This one is not in covenant. Why are you running in fear? And David said, I will fight him. But fear, the fear of failing, kept Israel from victory. I don't know about us, but we allow these ropes to tie us up. Fear of failing. A fear of the unknown. I like this quote that someone said. It says, we don't actually fear the unknown. What we fear is giving up the known. There are some people that haven't even left Franklin County in their life before. Which my question is, why? (laughs) Because I haven't gone down that road before. I don't know what's around the bend. How many, when you have, when you're driving a, a new road, you're very tentative. You're very cautious. I don't know this road, but the more you drive the road, the more you get used to it. You know where certain holes are or bumps are. I laugh in America when they write, bump ahead. And I wish you could see the bump I have to drive on. (laughs) So my kids all laugh when we see the sign and we go, and we keep on going. Because the bumps we go into, you dodge one and get two free. (laughs) But if you're the unknown, you want to go forward, but around your ankle, you're a little bit tied. I want to go forward, but I, I just don't know. So the fear of the unknown keeps you bound, and you can't serve the Lord the way he wants you to serve. There's another fear. It's called the fear of adversity. When some little wind and storms begin to blow around you, you get afraid. Just like when a child hears a thunderstorm and the lightning, and don't you lie, some of you get scared too. That fear of winds and storms keeps you from moving forward. Paul was beaten with stones and left for dead. But when God raised him up again, where does Paul go? He goes to the next town preaching the gospel there. I don't know about you, but if I had been stoned, I might have taken one week off. I may have gone back to my prayer closet and said, God, have you really called me for this? But in the face of adversity, Paul rose back up and went to the next town preaching the gospel. The disciples were beaten for preaching the gospel. And the first thing they did after being released from prison, they went to where their brothers and sisters were. And they began to pray to the one who called them, asking for a fresh release of the Holy Spirit. And what did God do? The Bible says that God shook the house. Adversity didn't prevent them from doing what God called them to do. How many know that no matter what you try to do for God, there will always be storms and trials and, 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 and adversities around you. The devil is not going to just let you cross over to the other side. Jesus in Mark 4, he said, let's go over to the other side. And halfway into the voyage, that's when the storm arose. Because the devil didn't want Jesus to minister on the other side. There's always going to be storms. But the fear of adversity... 
Sometimes the adversity in America is not physical, but it's words. What people are saying around us, and we have to just be quiet and just, you know, don't, don't rock the boat and don't, don't make waves. Just swallow whatever the government is saying to do. Adversities. And the fear keeps us quiet. Fear of the unknown. Fear of failing. Fear of adversities. Another fear I've met people with these fears is fear that has traumatized people. They, they, they had a significant accident. I know certain people that because of that accident, they will not drive on the highway again. Fear. Fear that has, that, that, that has caused trauma in your life. And that traumatic experience is hindering you. It's limiting you. It's keeping your foot in bondage. But the Lord has need of you. Fear of failing, fear of the unknown, fear of adversity, fear that traumatizes us. The fifth one that I believe is the fear of rejection. Because you were rejected somewhere along the way, you are afraid to make that step again. I, I know men who are beyond married, married age. But because they asked one lady, it could even stem back to high school. They asked someone out, they were rejected. They asked another person, they were rejected. They were with this person, but then they were dumped. And now they are ready and more than ready for marriage, but they can't get married. Because what if I ask this person and they also tell me no? They go to a bank, I need a loan. I have a great idea. I need a loan. I want this. I want that. And every time you try to make an advancement, there is a rejection. There are some of us that we try to spread the gospel and you're rejected. And nobody likes to be rejected. The heart pain, the, 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 the heartaches, it's safer. If I just put my nose down and don't even try. And that's a lie from the devil. But we see the, 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 the rope of fear is a very strong rope. But the Lord has need of you. And if that's you today, I pray that by the time we leave today, any fear in your life, may it be broken off of our lives in the name of Jesus. Amen. Another powerful rope that I've discovered is the rope of low self-esteem or insecurity. Hello? Low self-esteem or insecurity where you have been talked down to in life. And it's very painful if it had come from a parent, a loved one, a spouse. But they talk down to you. You may, you may have been belittled in life. Some can get so bold as, I wish I never had you. You're good for nothing. You're useless. Why can't you be like your sister? No matter what they try to do, they always see themselves inferior to their sister. It's pretty quiet in this Presbyterian church. It's not true. 
low self-esteem, insecurities. You feel devalued in life. You get talked down to so much, you start believing what they say about you. Bullied in school. Picked on in school. When I was, I guess, born, I had a speech impediment problem. You know how kids can be. I started kindergarten late because I was already in university by age four and five. Because I was going to some professor to try to figure out why my tongue isn't working right. Now I'm in kindergarten going to first grade. I'm in special classes because I can't be in the normal class. Nothing wrong with the brain. The tongue won't work. You go through life, you get to elementary school, and if it's a small area, the same kids you're in elementary school, the same kids in middle school, the same kids in high school. You got over 12 years of either joyful experiences or painful. Now, I did not have a good educational upbringing. I thought sports would answer the problem playing three sports a year. Very successful baseball player on my way to the dream. That didn't even change my reputation. I had put walls all around me to keep people at a distance. I couldn't let people in because of what I was going through. But I remember in 1993 when I first went to Ghana and I had the chance to give my testimony, I was scared to death. Went on a short-term mission trip and, I, and, and we had the largest crowd so far at that time. About two or 300 Ghanaians had come to see these crazy Americans with all this makeup for the drama we were doing. And I'm shaking with the microphone in my hand, giving my testimony. And God did something I could never do for me. Every single wall I had built up, I felt melt. I was feeling this warm sensation. And the walls were melting. And I became the shyest person on the team to becoming the most audacious, whatever word, the most outgoing per night and day. Because my rope of insecurity, and my rope of low self-esteem was broken for my life. Can I encourage someone today with the word of God? It says you are the head and you're not the tail. You are above and not beneath. I don't care what people have spoken to your life before. You are on top. You're not on the bottom. Bible says you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Praise God. Can I declare this over your life today? There is greatness in your life. Amen. Can I say this to you? There is so much untapped potential in your life. Can I even be so bold to say that there is pure gold under this clay garment? In Africa, in Ghana, where we are, it was known as the Gold Coast before the British came in and colonized the place. There is gold in our land. And people come from all over the world, nations come to mine the gold fields. But they don't go into the gold fields looking for dirt, they don't go in looking for rocks. 
They know that based on the topography of this land, there is surely gold in this land. And they dig and they mine and they mine and they blow up things until they find gold. And I want to tell you today that there's gold in you. Amen. Came across a story some years back ago that in the nation of Thailand, Bangkok, there was a Buddhist monastery. And the government wanted to build a new highway, but the highway was to go right through the middle of the, of the monastery. And so the government began to relocate the monastery. Now, on the monastery, there was a 100-foot statue of Buddha, clay statue. And because of their culture and their religion, this was a very important statue of theirs. And so with a huge crane, they began to move the statue of Buddha across the road into the new monastery area. But as careful as they were, to the, to the dismay of those watching, bits and pieces of clay were coming off. But then their mouths began to open up wide. Because unknown to them, under the clay was a pure golden statue of Buddha. Nobody ever knew. And I want to tell you today that under all this clay, there's gold. Don't allow the rope of low self-esteem, of insecurity to keep you from what God wants to do in your life. There's gold in your life. Praise God. Talk about quickly, as quickly as I can about different ropes that prevent us from being used by God. The rope of fear, right? The rope of low self-esteem or the rope of insecurity. Number three today is the rope of your past. There's a big one. The rope of your past. Are you still with me? The rope of your past. I love this text in Philippians 3 verse 13. Bible says, brethren, I count not myself as have apprehended. Watch this. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Your past, both good and bad, can hinder you. That's why in sports it's very difficult for a repeat in champions it's rare today because every team is getting better and making moves because there's a target on your back and we don't want to see you become victorious next year. Even as a fan, you don't want the same teams playing every year. Hello? If I'm going to press forward, if I'm going to advance, I've got to forget what's behind me. Your past is a serious rope that can keep you from being used by the Lord. There are people who have a guilt-ridden past. You've come to Christ, but you're still living a life that you feel condemned. Even though you know Romans 8 verse 1 is there, there now therefore there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. You know that, but you still feel guilty. Some, they, they, they had an abortion in life, and now someone wants to marry them, and they feel, how do I deserve this person? How do I deserve to get married and have children when I killed my own baby? So they don't advance. 
We all have done things in our past that nobody should ever be proud about. But there are people that are, that are tied by this rope and they can't move because of a guilt-ridden past or some traumatic experience in the past has caused you not to advance or some specific sin you have or you are involved in. It is your, I can't get past, how could God use someone like me? Our past is big, isn't it? I read some of these quotes. This person said, I have a past, but I don't have to live there anymore. I have a past, but I don't have to live there anymore. This person said, when the past becomes the present, you lose your future. So I'll say to you today that your past is in your head, but your future is in your hands. What does that mean? The past is in your head, which means that your past is just a memory. It's just a memory. Now, I will say this. Your past is important. It has made you who you are today. Are you there? But it is no longer an active part of your life. You're not living in fifth grade anymore. You're not being thrown around in the locker room anymore. Your head is not going down a toilet anymore. You're not being kicked by five people anymore. You are just allowing your past to stay in your head. But you're not there anymore. Hello? It might have been an injustice you witnessed to. It, it might have been an opportunity that you missed that you're kicking yourself for. How many have been there? How many are living in the, in, in the day of would have, should have, could have? Life is always easy to, to, to in, in hindsight, oh, I wish I knew. Life is filled with regrets. But you can't live there anymore. And if you live in your past, you're tied up. And God can't use you. But the Lord has need of you. So your past is in your head. But your future is in your hands. As your past shapes you for who you are today, the present is molding your future. True? Every decision you take today is building your future tomorrow. Our future is already made. And it's being molded by our own hands. But there's always choices. And God in his wisdom and God with his all-knowing mind, he knows what he has for you. But you still have a choice. David was going to be the king that brought the Messiah to the world. David began to go the wrong way. David made a choice one day. 
The Bible gives the commentary here. It says, in the time or in the day or in the season when kings went to war, David stayed in the house. David said, I have fought enough battles. I think I'll allow my guys to go ahead of me. He stayed home. On that fateful day for David, he began to get hot and climbed to the roof of his palace. And as he was getting some fresh air to the left of David was Bathsheba taking a bath in the general public. And David lusted after her. David committed adultery with her. David impregnated her. And David killed her own husband to cover up their child. At that moment, David's genealogy went a different direction. Choices we make can alter your outcome. What rope is hindering you? May your past not hinder you anymore. I thought I'd get an amen for that one. May you be loose from your past. Because there's a good present. There's a good future that God has in store for you. Jeremiah, you're a prophet. You're not a prophet yet. You're a prophet. In God's mind, you're a prophet. I'm just a four-year-old boy. You're a prophet. And the gifts and the calling of God, the Bible says, are without repentance. What he called you to do is what he wants you to do. The Lord has need of you. But the rope of your past is hindering you. The rope of low self-esteem, the rope of failure is causing you to be used by God. Are you still here? Another rope that I've encountered that hinders us from being used by God is the rope of poverty, the rope of lack, the rope of insufficiency. Well, I want to I wanna serve God. I want to do this for God, but I just don't have the money. Hello? How many know that money is the currency of the world? You can't do anything without money. You can't go to Kroger's and have your cart full of, of things you need, and you let them all scan, and you let the cashier do it for you. And when she's done, you tell them, the Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. May the Lord open doors for you. I bless you with the blessings of Jehovah. And you begin to take your things and walk away. <laughs> the cashier said, well, thank you for blessing me. <laughs> you still got a bill to pay? How, 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 don't raise your hand, but how many have been there that you're buying things and you realize, hmm, I don't have that money for that. And can you, can you put that one back and... That one, can you, it's not a good feeling, is it? People say that, that there, there's a, that school of thought that Christians ought to, be, ought to be poor because poverty is humility. I, I've met a lot, I've, I've met rich people who are very humble. And I've met a lot of poor people which are very proud. It's not money. That makes you poor or makes you humble or proud. It's your mentality, right? 
lack of money hindering people. There's a Filipino saying that says this, that poverty is not a hindrance to success. I like that. Poverty is not a hindrance to success. A lack of money or being entirely broke, it causes a breakdown in a person's psyche that will forever keep him bound to a poverty mentality. Where I am in Ghana, they think that Mr. White Man has all the money, and if I can just meet a white man, my problems will be over. It's a bad mentality to have. It keeps you in this colonial mind, this slavery mind. There's no difference between you and I. God is no respecter of persons. Deuteronomy says, I'll bless you in a city, and I'll bless you in a village. Geography does not limit the blessing of Jehovah. But there are people in this great country, in this great country, that has no electricity. Wow. If I should tell a Ghanaian that, they'll never believe it. There are people that don't have running water in our own country. There are kids that have no shoes on their feet. There are kids, if the school doesn't provide lunch, they won't eat the whole day. In the U.S. of A. Poverty mentality. And when you grow up with frugality, which is good to be frugal. It's good to be a wise steward of what God gives you. But when you grow up in a home where you're, do, you're doing the bean counting. And you have to be really careful As you become an adult, you see things that maybe your parents wouldn't have spent money on, but you can spend money on it. You may even have the resources. But because of that thinking, or I don't deserve that. So instead of buying yourself a three-year-old car, you buy yourself a 20-year-old car. Well, that car is too nice for me. What would people think? I was joking with my dad because I don't have a, I don't have a house in America. I don't have a car. In America. I, have no, I don't live here. I go from house to house. I stay with my parents and my families. We're all in one roof, and we travel and preaching, and then we go back to Ghana. So I joke with my dad because my dad is retired, and he has a Cadillac. I said, Dad, what are they going to think when a guest preacher drives up in a Cadillac? Are you understanding me? But it's not mine. But there's that mentality that Christians should be poor. Christians should be second-rate people, second-rate citizens. And the poverty mentality, I have been in places where they're collecting an offering for the ministry, and God bless everybody that comes, but they put a dollar in the offering bowl. What do you want me to do with a dollar in Ghana? How is that going to make a difference in America? let alone in where we are ministry. But, oh, he's a missionary, let's give him a dollar. Let's give him, let's give him our leftovers. I wrote a letter years and years ago to a church that I had come out from. I'm not, I'm not under a denomination. And I wrote this letter. I said, where is it ever written that missionaries are to be poor? Where is it written that missionaries can't take their family on a vacation? Which I haven't been on for about five years. Where is it written that... That, and my letter was long. I was just venting. And my church that I had come out from, they got the message. 
they began to understand that just because you are a missionary doesn't mean you have to be poor. It's very quiet in this Anglican church. Are you here? So when there's a need, and I, I appreciate what our brother said, that this is a blessed church. May it be a blessed church. I thought it would be five amens for that one. May your church be blessed that when there are needs, when there's an opportunity to give, we don't start to grumble. God loves a cheerful giver. And if you're going to grumble, don't give. If you're going to complain about where the money is being spent, then go to another church. Hello? Because once it is removed from your hand... It's not yours anymore. Amen. How can I say, I, I, my, my brother, I want to give you my watch. And I give him my watch, and then I, I don't see him wearing the watch. I said, where's my watch? Well, you see, I had, I had a need, and, and I decided to sell your You sold my watch? <laughs> but it's not my watch anymore. How many Christians do that to the churches? It's not your money anymore. It's God's money. And it's going to go where the shepherds and the leadership will feel it's best needed, not where you want. And there are some bold members who will tell pastor, well, if you don't use this the way I want it, then I'm going. And by the way, my tithe is going out the door with me. I knew one pastor who said, you see that door? I was here before you came. I'm going to be here after you go. But a poverty mentality. Let me show you a text here quickly. In, in the book of Judges, chapter 6 and verse 15, there was someone God wanted to use by the name of Gideon. But this is what he says. So Gideon said to, to him, Oh, my Lord, how, how can I save Israel? My family is poor, and I'm the least in my father's house. This guy had two legs with two ropes. He had low self-esteem, and he had poverty. He's going nowhere. But thank God we know the story of Gideon, that Gideon believed who God said he was. Gideon, you're not a coward. You are a mighty man of valor. But here it is. A poverty mentality can prevent you from serving the Lord. Let's try to wrap up. We have the rope of fear, the rope of low self-esteem, the rope of your past, the rope of insufficiency. The last one is a, is, a, is a big rope, the rope of addiction. The rope of addiction. You want God to use you, but... There's something holding you back. It could be drugs, alcohol. Hello? It could be all types of perversions, sexual, pornography. You want God to use you, but addictions are holding you back. I pray today that if there's any rope on your life, or if there's any rope in your family's life or a co-worker's life, I pray that you'll move forward with this message because God wants to use you.
God doesn't want you bound. The Lord has need of you. So let's jump back into our text and we'll kind of wrap up for today. Is that okay? If we jump back to Matthew 21 verse 3, then we'll jump to verse 7 to 9. Matthew 21 verse 3 says, And if any man say unto you, you shall say the Lord has need of them. That's what God told me to tell you today. The Lord has need of you. And straight away he will send them, verse 7, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put on their, their clothes and they set him thereon. That's Jesus. And the very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes went before and those that followed, they cried, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Despite all we said to you today, you have divine importance. Hallelujah. Your importance, let me just say it to you, your importance is not about you, but who you are carrying. Here is the donkey. Put yourself in the feet of this donkey. This donkey has been tied up. This donkey has been unfulfilled in life. This donkey was being made fun of all the other donkeys. Look at you. You're so pathetic. Your owners don't want to even use you. You're nothing but a signpost. This donkey's got his head down. He can't go anywhere because he's tied. But now all of a sudden, some people, they untied him. And brought him to some man, and they sat, Jesus sat on him. And this donkey, in the mind of the donkey, as he's walking, says, wow, this is pretty cool. People are laying down their clothes for me. People are putting, they, they don't even want me to walk on dirt roads. Listen to the praise all around me. But it's not about the donkey. It's about Jesus on your life. You're carrying him. You have divine importance. You are anointed by God to do greater works than Jesus. I love this text in John 14 verse 12. I live it out every single week and month and year. I believe it. And it doesn't matter where you live. The word of God is what it is no matter where you are. John 14 verse 12. Are you there? Verily I say unto you, here, here's the condition, he that believes on me, that's Jesus. You may be a good donkey, but you're just a donkey. I'm just a donkey. But he that believes on me, the works I do, you shall also do. And greater works shall you do because I go to my Father. Jesus says, I'm about to leave this earth, and the Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is not restricted. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere at all times. I'm God in the flesh, but I'm limited to time and space, but I'm leaving, and God himself is coming back down. His Spirit will be everywhere, and because he's everywhere, what I have done in one geographic location, you can do everywhere. Thank God for these beautiful auditoriums, but in some churches in Ghana, we're in, we're in strips of classroom blocks. 
And one church starts with praise and worship. Another church is having prayer. Another church is preaching. Another church is having altar call. Four different classrooms. And God is in each of them. You pass by, there's confusion. But to God, he can... The Holy Ghost is not only with us, but he's in us. There's a power source in us. There's an anointing that each of us carry. There's an anointing that each of us can develop. There's an anointing that can grow in us because people need you. And the Lord has need of you. I've seen phenomenal miracles throughout our time. Weekly occurrences. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen mutes talk. I've seen stroke patients who can't get out of bed and paralyzed on the left begin to walk normally. I've seen cripples walk. I've seen dead people come back to life. I've seen it all. Not all. There's still more I want to see. But I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I have been used to see the works. Because his word says, if I would just believe on him, whatever he did, I can also do, and I can do more than him. I want to challenge you in this room today. You were created by God to do good works. There are things God wants you to do. The Lord has need of you. You are anointed by God. You are anointed to preach the gospel. You are anointed to preach deliverance to the captives. You are anointed to set those who are bruised and let them be healed. Brokenhearted. Luke 4, 18 and 19. You are anointed. You are anointed. The Lord has need of you. Amen. Amen. May you carry the glory of God on your life. People need to be saved. People need to be healed. People need to be delivered. People need to be loved. People need to be cared for. And people need to be comforted. You can go places I can never go. You know people I would never know. And together as a body of Christ, we can be used by God to help people. The Lord has need of you. But the problem is, there might be some ropes that are hindering us from being used. My daughter likes to sing in the house. You try to push her to sing in church. Oh, I am a little shy. And she's not four or five, she's not 13. She has a gift she can use for the Lord. The Lord has need of her. But fear of rejection, fear of failing, keeps her in a seat. What would God want you to do in the house of God? Where can you serve in the house of God? What children could you reach, either in the church or outside? It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. The Lord has need of you.